Welcome to the Yoga Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Saraswati Clare, an award-winning documentary filmmaker and owner of Yoga Kula from the San Francisco Bay Area. Join us to hear from the world's leading experts on yoga, teachers, doctors, scientists, and scholars. To study more deeply with these inspiring teachers, check out the courses on our website, In this new era, where we have the opportunity to envision and create a new world, the practices of yoga help us to live more consciously so that we can create a better inner and outer world. To help others find us, please leave your comments on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Today, I'm so excited to be talking with Tara Judell. In 2014, Tara Judell co-created the School of Embodied Flow to bring her current passions together in a modern movement of yoga. For over 27 years, Tara has experimented with all forms of movement flow, from dance to tai chi to movement improv and ultimately yoga. She has been inspired by the body-mind-centering works of Bonnie Bainbridge-Cohen and has studied and taught with Carlos Pomeda and Sally Kempton. She is a featured teacher on the Yoga Glow team, allowing the yoga conversation to stream around the globe. During our conversation, Tara shares with us the inspiring work she is doing focusing on embodiment and awakening. Hi Tara, it's so good to talk with you today. Can you tell us up front your story about how you first came to yoga? What sparked your interest in the journey? Yeah, I I think I had two beginnings. Um, the, one, I didn't realize um, until later when I was really young, there was um, Lilius Yoga on, um, yes. pub, on PBS. And I used to do that. Um, I think I did that actually for a few years when I was probably eight or nine, just because I was a, a kind of a latchkey kid and yeah. that, I like, I like to move and yes. that woman was so beautiful and calm and in her beautiful. I, I just love her. I love her. I know. Yeah. Um, and I kind of forgot about that until I rediscovered yoga. Um, initially, I was in drama school, and um, I saw one of my friends practicing in one of the rehearsal rooms, and I said, what are you doing? And um, she, she lent, I mean, she lent me a book on yoga that just had stick figures doing yoga. So I was doing it in my room, um, for about a year until I moved to Los Angeles and then stepped into a real yoga class for the first time. Um, and it, for me, you know, I had always been looking for a way to drop out of my thinking brain and into my body and, so the physical, the physical activity combined with this other pursuit that I had going simultaneously to the physical practice, which was a pursuit of meditation and, um, 
I would say unity consciousness or the ground of being, but I didn't have that language. Those words were even the felt sense of that until, um, I think really finding that unification in a yoga class and falling in love instantly. Um, yeah. So it was, I, I think it was a magnet that kept magnetizing yeah. me to it <laughs> in various ways until everything synchronized to heed the call, mm. which was about 25 years ago. Yeah. Finally, when I, when I finally became dedicated mm. Wonderful. Um, sometimes people have a little glimpse like in childhood or sometime early, early in your life where there's just something, I don't know if anything comes to mind, that there's just like this awakening moment where you went, ah. Oh. <laughs> I think many, you know, yeah. one thing, I've been reflecting on this a bit recently and one of the things that um, on my report cards when I was younger, <laughs> you know, like, before yeah. the age of 12, the teachers yeah. used to always, the teachers used to always say that, um, Tara's daydreaming. <laughs> and I would, I would often be in school looking out the window and I don't think I was actually daydreaming. I think I was meditating with my eyes open, mm -hmm. looking at nature. And, um, there was something about the, the harmony of and the call of nature yeah. that seemed way more compelling than the the work that was being assigned you know yeah. in the classroom at school yeah. and i would i would think that's in some ways the differences of brain frequency that there's a way of open-eyed meditation that's bringing you already into kind of an alpha theta state and the schoolwork for me was definitely creating a beta state. Um, and again, I didn't know that at the time, but I think, I think that, um, was, that was a deep calling mm. to be with the open eyed meditation, even while schoolwork was happening. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, my school report says the same thing. <laughs> so I, think <laughs> I was there with you. I'm a complete nature freak. So <laughs> and if like, they had if they had a different vocabulary, perhaps yeah. the teachers might be able to look at a student and recognize, you yes. know, because years, years later I taught kids yoga and there is a meditative quality already in children that is, you know, yeah. if it's not cultivated, I think is confusing because mm -hmm. you're, you naturally are that. And it's, it's really a matter of yeah. adults being willing to point out what, you know, what kids, what we already know, which is already part of our nature and it's allowing that to be cultivated, I think. Um, I wondered if there are, were there moments kind of in your life, um, sometimes with some of us, some of us, there is a time when the word challenge, you know, when you really were at the mercy of our own destructive nature, like that we, you know, yoga pe teachers often come in because they struggled with some kind of anxiety or, or some sense of disharmony that kind of, you know, really opened you up to wanting to seek for something different. Yeah. I mean, for me in my twenties, I think I was really confused and the things that you said, like the, the dissonance between my, I was in university in New York city and on the one hand, the frenetic 
mm-hmm. external pace and uh uh i think the activity of intellect and thought and all of that was very stimulating and compelling and on the other hand i think i was very depressed mm-hmm. in in just the I think the ephemeral nature of life and there was a lot of questioning on my part, like what's, what's the point? Why am I here? Why, why should I compete in this rat race? Why should I do all of these things? And, um, a a lot of fantasy and thought about, you know, what would happen if I ended it? Um, which I think is an important question. Um, you know, we, to, to contemplate your death every day, but in, in that from a certain point of viewing is, it looks differently than when you're seriously depressed and thinking yeah. of, um, it in that way. Yeah. So I think I was, it, it was in that level of why, why live? What's the point? The classic depression bottoms I think that people hit and not that I was like I probably didn't look depressed from the outside I I was a functioning person going to school getting good grades and doing all those things but it just felt very um ungrounded in any kind of trust or faith or belief or knowing and um I think that set the groundwork I mean I was seeking in the way of going, Oh, does, do I study psychology? Do I study philosophy? Do I study religion? Do I, I, I was looking in all of the places for, um, something that would soothe, Mm -hmm. uh, dissonance. And, uh, I, I think for me, when I, when I stepped into yoga, there was that first, hope of feeling unified in, in one's being that kind of ground that we talked about, even when looking at nature and, but then having the felt sense of that in my body. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, and well, and take us forward into, um, you know, the type of yoga that you working with now, you know, um, you know, as we're, we're saying, you know, when you start to come more into the world of yoga, you feel a little bit more flow in your life. And, um, you know, your work is this, um, wonderful weaving together of these different modalities. And I wonder if you could tell us about your work and how it might help, um, someone who might be feeling some of those things we were just talking about here, the sense of ungroundedness and, no purpose and um, depression or the different feelings we can have when we feel that kind of lost or um, not able to deal with the the frantic turnings of the mind. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think part of the initial challenge is that we have disintegrated mind from body and we have mistakenly thought that mind is in the brain whereas it's everywhere. And, um, for me, initially the love affair of yoga came from the broad scope of the body moving in unison with breath 
Um, and I quickly got in very deep into the philosophy of Tantra, um, specifically Kashmir Shaivism. And what I found after about 10 years of teaching yoga was that I was teaching the philosophy and I was teaching Hatha yoga, but some, something was missing in terms of, I, I think actualizing the felt sense of the philosophy because philosophy can, can the, the word philosophy, this love of logic and knowing can feel very esoteric and somewhat, um, removed if it's not, if, if the living teachings of it are not, um, felt through, through, through the body. Mm. And that was, I didn't know that was what was happening. I just felt that in all of the yoga that I was teaching, teaching a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, um, I felt that I was somehow not reaching my own aim to live the depth of the knowledge that I experienced in meditation. I wasn't experiencing that inside of the Hatha practice. And maybe I felt that that promise was there, that it could be there. I had felt it in the initial days, but then as it got very alignment based, as it got very technical, as it got very heady, I felt like the yoga itself was, it could unify me, but it wasn't transporting me into the meditative space. And then I met, um, Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen in the world of, um, body mind centering. And the first time that I authentically dropped into the felt sense in my organs, I suddenly had a volume in my body, a weightiness and a liquidity that I hadn't experienced before. And that started this, well, I would say endless journey, but very intensely at the beginning, a few years of simply preferencing the felt sense in different parts of the body, whether it's the bones or the organs or the cells. Um, Can you tell me what, what is the felt sense? Well, you know, when you're, when you feel your stomach, for example, you feel your stomach when it's hungry, you feel your stomach, perhaps if it feel, if it doesn't feel well. I mean, often we think of parts of our body when they don't feel well, but when they feel well, you can cultivate a relationship with anything that is you in the same way that you can touch the outside of your body and you can feel your skin you can have that same sensorial relationship to anything that is in your body. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is the work that, uh, Bonnie Brainbridge really, Cohen really brought to the foreground, which is that, I mean, the name of her book is Sensing Feeling Action. So if I sense something, that's kind of like looking for something in the dark. I'm, I'm using my brain. I'm using my nervous system to look and locate to look for and locate something when I have it, when I have located it, like my heart, for example, then I feel it. And once I feel it, then I have more agency over it and can act, can use it in movement. So one of Bonnie's, you know, Bonnie started as an occupational therapist and one of her early um, discoveries was that she was able to get paraplegics to move 
a little bit from their organs. So to, to heal and recover parts of themselves that were to find other localities Mm -hmm. to initiate movement from. And it really opened up this whole huge portal where before I thought of myself as, I mean, if I were to think of now before and after, I would say my yoga was very two dimensional. And when the embodiment practices became intertwined with it, it became more three dimensional or as someone said recently, multidimensional. Um, and I think what it means is that it, it, it links the mind body to the whole body, to the whole network of what we are. And what I discovered was that in that, in the sensation of really moving into the landscape of my body and discovering how I can move more authentically and also how I can acknowledge anything that is me. When I acknowledge it, it acknowledges me back. Mm -hmm. And, um, it means that my intuition, my knowing, my, portal for discovery in this multidimensional body is greater that I have more of myself online, so to speak. Mm. And, um, you know, could you talk, uh, uh, like, for example, like if you, if you were feeling out of sorts or, you know, you had a moment, maybe there's been something that happened in the last couple of years where you're able to just bring yourself back online. <laughs> Can you walk us through a situation where you felt, huh. yeah. Yeah, many times. I mean, we're all, um, I mean, it's, I'll, I'll just use a mundane example of airports because I'm in them a lot. I mean, airports are a frequency, yep. a lighting, a, uh, a stimulus that, that is just not, it's not that easy for me. It feels very overstimulating. And so, um, I can, I can find myself kind of reverting into patterns of, of, you know, moving quickly and like not, not connecting to my whole self. And I play with many different places in my body to reset like one I mean we talk we talk about in embodied flow anchors Mm -hmm. so like where's a place in my body that brings me back to myself and I can I play with different ones but in if I need a strong anchor I can go to my spine Mm -hmm. and lean into the spinal column like um like a hammock Mm -hmm. inside and kind of harness my part articles into a central point as I move through. Um, lately I'm really liking, um, letting my brain become soft and letting the brainstem drip down through the, through the whole, in the, through the foramen magnum into the, into the spinal cord. So to think of it like, um, almost like a jellyfish floating in space and moving through the ocean of the body. So what I find is there's many, many, many places. The more familiarity I have with different places in my body, I can, when I move into the felt sense of them, it has a natural reset because it's, our body's encoded for wellness. It's encoded for well-being, which, you know, the medical profession will call homeostasis, but the Tantra tradition would call 
Chit Ananda or consciousness well-being that it is encoded to feel like that in the ground. So when I tune into a, my body in those moments, the reset is almost immediate because I've spent time there. I've spent time yeah. curating that relationship and building on it. So it it serves me in that way. It's coming home, but it's only coming home inside of the, the one resource I'll have my whole life, which is this body. Um, and I find that also, you know, in times of teaching often in front of many people, I mean, I like anyone will get nervous or feel, I could feel the, um, the reversal of feeling like, oh, it's small me in front of this many people, whereas I could tune into an anchor point inside of my body and it feels like a doorway into the infinite, eternal resource that made all of us. So it's, it's a, yeah, for me, it's a very immediate portal. Wow. Sounds wonderful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wonderful. I know you've studied um, Tantra, yoga, and Kashmir Shaivism philosophy a lot. So if you could, yeah, talk to us about your discoveries of um, understanding more what this actually means and how that relates to the work you're doing. Yeah. You know, it's. I think maybe you have this feeling too, the longer we stay with this work, the simpler it is. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about when we talk about you and I staring out the window and <laughs> having a having a meditative experience while looking at a tree while we're meant to be doing phonics on <laughs> in a workbook. Yeah. I think it's it's reversing the perception because it reminds me of this, that I went to, I took an art class when I was in university and the teacher said to draw not the object, but the space around the object. Mm. And it blew my mind. I couldn't even understand how she could ask us to do that. <laughs> and I, I think the same thing is really true in terms of this word that we call awakening is that there's a much vaster part of ourselves that already is that. Mm. And we're trained rather to look at the objects, the the details of things, or to cling to story, or to cling to this this very um, small percentage of what is. And we're not taught, at least in our Western culture, right. to look at all the more <laughs> space that lives, as we know, in be- in between thoughts or in the spaces of non-doing or in the spaces of well-being. And so I think there's a giant confusion because we, especially with the modern culture, tend to look at the objects rather than the space between the objects or that part of ourselves that really is already there. And it's already there in everyone. So something like the word awakening is useful because there is, there is a moment of seeing that after which you can't unsee. And it's really 
kind of every day. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of there all the time. It's just so overused and so overthought and so mysteriously confused that, um, we can fail to see it. And I think that, um, or what's that expression? It's like a fish swimming in water, looking for the water. <laughs> Beautiful. I get the sense I'm thinking about your conference coming up in, and, um, that lovely expression about there are many roads up the mountain and <laughs> they all lead, mm-hmm. all lead to one place and, um, one goal. And that having all of you amazing <laughs> group of facilitators to be there in one place. Well, what an extraordinary gathering it's going to be. If you'd like to just tell us a little bit about more about that gathering and, um, if you could then, if you could lead us into, um, a meditation, I would really love that. That would be wonderful. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, my teaching partner, Dr. Scott Lyons, um, he, this is kind of a, it's a dream of ours. It started with a conversation about how can we get Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen and Sally (laughs) Kempton in the same room. Um, and then he took it 20 steps further, um, because that's his nature and really to assemble these leaders in the realm of experiential, um, awakening, I'm, I'm, I'm using that term, but that the, that the whole, the body in, as I described Bonnie's work, um, as this portal into the substratum of the ground, um, and to assemble around that topic, movers, psychologists, um, meditative leaders and spiritual leaders in, in dialogue so that where all of these roads converge and come together creates a, you know, a multi-dimensional experience of self and this concept of self. Um, and I had this moment right before I was moving to Bali and uh, about 10 years ago where I felt all of my structure of my perception of myself fall away, which is a stage that people go through in awakening. And, Mm -hmm. and I really felt myself like I didn't, there was no, like that, who am I question? There was no, I, there was no me. And I, my response to that was to kind of fall into a heap of tears. And, um, I, I called him, and his, the book that arrived on my doorstep the next day was The Enlightenment Process by Judith Blackstone. Mm-hmm. And that's been a, a book that we recommend and that I love. And so excited to have her, mm-hmm. um, as well as, um, Dr. Teresa Silo and Dr. Ray Johnson are both somatic psychologists who, um, work at, uh, Pacifica and CIIS and, um, of course, Dr. Reverend Michael Beckwith and, um, Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams are, you know, these amazing spiritual speakers and leaders. Um, and I think the idea to have all of these people in the same room leading us into a, a seriously deep dive into our, our body and 
our psychology of movement and expression and experience. Um, I think what happens when we're in dialogue like that is, is things that may have felt, um, singular or like a solitary experience. Actually, when you hear them in concert or you hear them coming from so many different angles, it's like having multiple cameras to see the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and to get, uh, the, the crossovers, which I think, you know, as we said, it's simpler than we might think. And when you have these leaders, I mean, who've been doing the work, like Sally, Judith and Bonnie for over 50 or 60 years, Mm -hmm. each one of them, we really have this tremendous opportunity to illuminate Mm -hmm. parts of ourselves that are perhaps in shadow or to remember that which we've already known and let it take up more space and residence inside of ourselves. Um, I just think it's so rare to have an opportunity to meet these people in person and to spend time with them. And they're also excited to spend time with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I I just, I couldn't be more excited to be a part of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and wonderful. So excited about that and happening in my hometown. Very cool. Yeah, in Berkeley, <laughs> October 13th to 18th. Yes. Um, we'll put the link up so that we can find it. Fantastic. Yes. So, um, yeah, whenever you're ready, um, take us into um, a meditation. That would be wonderful. Okay. So wherever you are, find a comfortable seat. And definitely, if you're driving, don't do this. (laughs) (laughs) And as you allow your body to soften into the support that is underneath you, underneath your pelvis, or underneath your legs if they're folded, or your feet if you're sitting in a chair, And allow your eyes to soften behind your eyelids and your tongue to become heavy and plump, the floor of your mouth, your lower jaw to separate from your upper jaw. As you're sitting here, simply perceive the border of your body, the permeable and integral boundary of our self we call the skin. It's identifying where that border of you meets the atmosphere of air. So there's an inner ocean, the outer space, like an outer ocean. Imagine that you could breathe through all the pores of your skin, 
so that on the in-breath, the outer space pours into the inner space. And on the out-breath, the inner space pours through the permeable membrane into the outer space. In the back, in the front, the top, the bottom, and the sides. Easefully, seamlessly, the outer space floods into the inner space nourishing and expanding and on the exhale the inner space pours into the outer space and if it helps you you can also add in the in breath the mantra hum the outer space pours in. The exhale, the mantra sa, as the inner space pours out. And you can start to deepen your breath, feeling your whole body swell with your breath. Run your hands along your thighs or your sides or feet to attune back to the density of the physical structure. Just bring your hands to your hands in Anjali Mudra. Feeling yourself meeting yourself in front of your heart, the hands meeting in that symbol of offering your individual body to the whole, the universal body. As you slowly open your eyes, return into the space where you are, into the room where you are. Tara, thank you so much. It's been wonderful to talk with you today and to hear all about the great work you are doing, helping us all to become more embodied and more conscious. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. Please leave us a review so that others can find us.